Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around the bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. Salwete, I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 62 for June MMXIII. Episode 62 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Your mom uh, had an accident. I'll uh, take you to her. Uh-oh. Look, Wild Bill! Who was that? Some stranger. He said Donnie's mom was hurt. I didn't know if I should go with him. Well, just don't do what a stranger says. Check it out with an adult you know. Remember, a stranger can mean danger. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Backworld to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are August Batgirl number 23 and Birds of Prey number 23, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, this is episode 62. Hopefully you guys downloaded episode 61. If not, here on Background Oracle over TBU specials. It was the Rank the Batman Batgirl special and what a joy. It was kid in a candy store for me just to be there and talk about Batgirl and hopefully you're wondering. I hope people write in but wondering about my ranking uh, because certainly my I was shocked and uh, other people were shocked as well but I do give my reasonings and hopefully you guys understand and still respect me for it but uh, please listen to that either over here BTO or on the Batman Universe specials. 
I do have some letters and then I get to introduce someone very special. Two letters here. First of all, hey Stella. First, I must say that I love, love, okay, one more, love Backroll to Oracle. And I finally want to email you because I just finished a four-month quest of listening to all of your earlier podcasts before I reached the current ones. That is a feat. I have done that probably once, only once before the Spider-Man Crawl Space. So kudos to you for sure. BTO is the first podcast I ever listened to. I don't count Feats at Five because that is basically a music radio show recording. And I want to let you know that your podcast had a profound impact on me. Now, I must admit, first and foremost, I am a Green Lantern fan. Don't worry, I have fans of all sorts. And one of my very good friends, Kevin, is a Green Lantern fan as well. But as I returned to comics with the New 52, the first book I placed on my pull list after all the GL titles was Batgirl. And I have now started collecting the Stephanie Brown run in digital format. Good for you. Haven't read any because I want a few before I start. The effect your podcast has had on me goes beyond what you could ever imagine. BTO is the root of my podcast family tree. Because I enjoyed your cast so much, I searched out a GL podcast and found the most awesome podcast of OWA. They're the reason it took me so long to catch up on your podcast, because I needed to catch up with them first. But they led me to Raging Bullets. Through you, I was introduced to the rest of the Batman universe as well as Michael Bailey. These podcasts have become an important tool for me because from time to time I suffer from severe depression and the podcasts help bring me back to the moment. Most important, I am an alcoholic and because of the great example BTO gave me of how awesome a podcast can be, I went and found AA podcasts which have helped me understand my disease and the solution that AA offers. Thank you so, so much. I know this has been a long email, but I have a couple of fun things I thought I'd share. First, in episode 18, you played the Mary Tyler Moore Show theme song as a song for Steph. It would have been better uh, had I used Joan Jett and the Blackhearts cover of that song, which I've actually never heard, so I'll have to look that up, uh, which I have attached. Second, I know what has happened to Stephanie Brown since the New 52. She is in witness protection. <laughs> oh, what's uh, I know this because she must have lived in my city of New Bedford, Massachusetts. And I believe she owned a restaurant. I attached a picture of the restaurant sign. She must have been found out, though, because the restaurant is now closed. Uh, the restaurant sign was great just because it had waffles on there. Uh, well, that is it. Thanks for being awesome. Jay, a.k.a. Hal Green Baz. Number one, it is uh, great just to get emails from any listeners, uh, especially listeners that just, this is the first podcast that they have listened to. I, I don't know if that has ever happened to me, but that is just such an honor that uh, this was your first podcast and the heavy breathing and the air issues from the first episode didn't turn you off and you've continued, just continued listening and that I'm so glad that you found Michael Bailey as well. I can't recommend him enough and uh, the Batman universe, which of course Dustin has put so much faith in me as well. Secondly, just thank you for writing in and I'm glad that this podcast, that it helps you with your depression and it helped you with uh, your alcoholism as well. I actually am very close to somebody who suffers from depression and I know, well I, I guess I don't know personally, but I know how um, difficult that can be and 
like I said in a couple podcasts before, you know, I'm praying for all you listeners out there. I don't know you personally. I, I don't necessarily know your names. Of course, I do now, Jay, but I just wish you all well. And I'm glad that Backroll the Oracle um, is able to help you in that and, and just know that you've got a friend here and you've got someplace that you can go to listen to and sort of escape from all that and just good job kudos to you seriously um for going out there and recognizing that you needed help and and that you're going out there and getting it so thank you thank you for writing in i also asked jay just um well number one i asked him if i could share a story because i just thought it was an amazing testament and uh the second thing i asked was how how he found my podcast because i'm always interested because what do people do do they google batgirl and it pops up i don't really know i mean some people obviously listen to the batman universe first and then perhaps uh they hear a recommendation or they found batgirl there Uh, but he said that he typed it in on itunes he was searching for batgirl stuff and it popped up and just how great the (laughs) technology is sometimes oftentimes i get really frustrated with it but uh thank you again just for writing in and and thank you for listening i know that there have been some rough episodes uh but uh thank you for taking the the time and the commitment to listen and uh still going strong hopefully my next and my last email was actually a comment that occurred uh the batman universe the new site that i'm on obviously uh from mary g okay ever since i heard that barbara gordon has yet another man named Richard. We've got Dick Grayson, Ricky from the new run, uh, and now a Richard in her um, vintage stories where she works uh, as a potential romantic interest. I cannot stop shipping Congresswoman Barbara Gordon and President Richard Tricky Dick Nixon. I believe he was on his way out soon after Barbara came to Washington. Did their love affair go bad after Batgirl discovered the Watergate break-in? What do you think, hot or not? I have to say not. Um, now we've, we will recognize here that Barbara has some potentially self-esteem issues or self-image issues uh, that she doesn't think she's as attractive as as we all know her to be Um, but you know just to be a shallow person I think that she could potentially do better than than Richard Nixon Uh, he's not as attractive a a gentleman as I believe Barbara could potentially be involved in and right now with all these romantic and you know I love Dick Grayson of course but I do miss Jason Bard man I wish he would come back into her life sometimes especially now with what's going to happen in this issue but not I I don't think and she's not going to get together with a corrupt politician that is just not her thing so she may have been the one that uh leaked those tapes who knows uh thanks so much Mary for writing and that was that was a great and clever thing I'm pretty excited because I thought it'd be fun to have guest hosts and I threw a shout out and I got some interest and my first guest host making history here is Chris Karn. So Chris, thank you so much for answering the call and welcome. Thank you, Stella. I'm really glad to be here. And I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, I do want to interrogate you a little bit. So what is your history with comics? Here's a very broad question to let us get to know you. Uh, comics in general, uh, okay. I was When I was probably in kindergarten, I went to a friend's house down the street and he had a Richie Rich comic book. And I had never seen things that I would normally see comic strips in the newspaper in a magazine format like a comic book. And it said, Richie Rich, the poor little rich boy. And I thought, wow, that's my first exposure to literary irony right there. So 
I read the whole thing right there in my friend's house, cover to cover, and I, I said, where, where do you find these things? And so uh, I convinced my parents to take me to a local 7-Eleven, and then I got my Rich Rich fix. And then lo and behold, they had comic books of uh, other superheroes that I saw on TV, like uh, Spider-Man. And uh, so I got, got into that. As far as Batgirl goes... The Batman 66 series wasn't rerun in my area at the time. So when I had uh, the catch-as-catch-can visits to my relatives in uh, Detroit, I would see the Batman reruns there. And incidentally, the the first episode I ever saw is one we're going to discuss a little bit later, the entrancing Dr. Cassandra. So that's sort of a pretty uh, nice coincidence there. And back then, as a kid... uh, it wasn't. It was common for kids to play Batman, and girls wanted to play Batgirl or Catwoman, and we <laughs> would stage these little elaborate adventures. Uh, sometimes going off the script from the show, sometimes going and making up our own stories as we went along. And uh, I've been hooked on comics ever since. Uh, the first Batgirl stories I saw in the comic books were. Um, the ones you previously discussed with the uh, crossover in the uh, Superman comics in the 70s where she made a couple of guest appearances. And then uh, the Batman Family series that started up right around that time when I was a little guy. And uh, she teamed up with Robin, and I loved those stories, and I've been following comics ever since. Do you think you're more of a Batman fan then? Would you say that that is your your top superhero since you did say about Spider-Man as well? Boy, they're right there. Uh, I, I've got some pretty healthy runs of both titles. Um, they're they're pretty neck and neck. It, you can you could ask me tomorrow. Uh, I'll say Spider, and you ask me today, I'll say Batman for <laughs> yeah. the sake of the show. No, I, I feel you there. Certainly, Spider Man was always my top hero, and then now I've just had this this great love for Batgirl as well. Uh, when you went to 7-Eleven, did they have the comics on the spin wraps? Uh, the yes, spin they did. Wrap? Okay. Yeah, Brad mm-hmm. Douglas from Spider-Man Crawlspace always talked about that, and I wish I had been in that era as well just to go in and pick something up off of a rack. That would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. So Man of Steel just came out, and I really liked it. Some of my friends were giving a C plus, B plus. Uh, I thought, frankly, it was an A or an A minus. Uh, what are your thoughts on the movie? I know that this is a this is a Batgirl show, but this is probably one of the better DC movies that have come out, I guess, besides Batman. But uh, any thoughts on Man of Steel? Uh, a few. Thank you for asking. Uh- some of the scenes from uh, Smallville were shot uh, in Illinois, not too far from uh, where I have some family. Oh. And that was so, sort of a big deal to them saying, oh, that look there, I, could, I recognize that street. I recognize this interstate where the tornado happened. And I recognize the downtown where, where the, uh, the, the loca- locations and locales are. Overall, I liked it. From a standpoint of a, of a DC versus Marvel movie, I think DC really needed to hit a home home run with this. Agreed. I think they may got a double. I, I just think it could have been a little bit better. Uh, I, I had hoped for some scenes that could have been executed a little bit better. I, I had a problem with the Jonathan Kent. Well, this is going to contain spoilers, so I don't know if I should go any further. Should I go for it? 
sure. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think it'll be okay. Okay. Well, I, I, where Jonathan Kevin Costner is standing by his car and he goes back for the dog and there's, there's this incoming tornado and he implores Clark to stay behind and not yeah. to reveal himself in front of everyone. And I just think, wow, you know, I can kind of see where that happened, but it was a little bit heartbreaking at the same time to watch yeah. it executed that way. The other scene I had a problem with was uh, Superman disposing of General Zod by the way he did uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with the next snap. I think if he was Superman, there should have been another way he could figure it out uh, how to solve that, that solution. Uh, when I, had, I, I was telling a friend, when I saw the original Christopher Reeve 78 Superman movie, there was a scene where he reveals himself. Uh, Lois falls out of a helicopter that's dangling off the edge of the Daily Planet building. And Lois falls. Superman catches her. And then the helicopter falls. And my first thought seeing that as a little kid in the theater was, well, how can he save both? Uh, what does he do? He's got this situation where at least he's got the girl, but the helicopter's evidently going to crash on the street, and hopefully the people will get out of the way. But he was such a heroic figure, he merely reached out, grabbed the helicopter and both of up of them went to the daily planet uh rooftop here he was faced with a dilemma where he had to save the civilians and the only solution he had was to kill zod i just other than that i thought it was a pretty good movie i i had no problem with uh the acting i thought amy adams was great i would have liked to have seen a little more clark kent in a superman movie but that's just my own bias but uh i Overall, it was a good movie. I thought it could have been a little better. You liked it more, though, huh? I did. Uh, I have some of the same issues with you. Uh, I was completely shocked by what he did with Zod. And I think everyone in the theater like really gasped and, and sort of shouted at that as well. I don't know what he could have done, but I, I'm glad at least that they focused on his emotion after it for a little bit. But then it seemed like after those the minutes when he was hugging Lois and and she was comforting him that then they just sort of like shut it off and you'd think that he would still be racked with grief over over what he did but they sort of went away so I wish that they would have developed that more just him and and what happened there I I just thought it was great for an origin story because it wasn't linear storytelling I loved all the the stuff that happened on Krypton and then just sort of going back and forth between his past and then uh, where he was in the present. And, and I thought that was just, it, it seemed original. I, I feel like all the other movies that we've seen have been really linear from start to finish. So I thought that was great. But, you know, it was an action film. It was Superman actually fighting. Whereas, you know, I feel like the past Superman movies have just been him and maybe in a battle of wits with Lex Luthor, but not too much. And I thought, yes, finally an action Superman movie. So I, I, I really liked it. I thought when we were first hearing stuff about it and, and the first trailer that really told us nothing, I was very concerned, but I came out of the theater really liking it. I thought it was better than Iron Man 3. I don't know if you saw that or yes. how, would you, how would you compare it? Do you think it was the same? Did you like Iron Man I, I enjoyed it in as much as I think I, 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 I didn't like Iron Man 3 with solely because of the way the Mandarin was such a deviation from the comic. Yeah. And I, I, I really left the theater disappointed. And it, I, 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 it, so I like this a lot better. Mm-hmm. At least it, there, was some, there was a little bit of deviations from, from the comic book in Man of Steel, but not as much where I think any of the character integrity was compromised as it was in Iron Man 3. Where do you see them going with the next film? Do you think they'll pull out Luther or do you think they'll still delay? The only 
really title at Lex I think we had was that one oil truck that said LexCore on it. Oh, you got good eyes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, would have, I would have to think it would be Lex. I was hoping, and I don't know if you were hoping for this, I was hoping at least for some, you caught the Lex thing on the truck. I didn't see that. I was hoping for some mention of uh, Gotham City or some... Yeah. Uh, some type of a uh, kernel where we know there's cities where other heroes may exist, not necessarily the heroes themselves. Uh, there was evidently, you know, obviously no uh, post-teaser after the credits. Yeah. So uh, this was, there was no really any foreshadowing here that I saw. So I, I would have to think uh, with Zod's demise in this, evidently, uh, Luther would be the next logical choice. Yeah. What would you think about them not bringing in kryptonite and sort of saving that off? Do you think that was a good move there? So we weren't inundated with a bunch of mythos? Yes. More more so than that, Stella. I, I really uh, like the direction they went with Lois Lane on this and her finding out Clark's identity right yeah. out right out of the gate. I, what do you think? Yeah, I th- it's certainly uh, a change because, man, Smallville, I don't know if you watched that from start to finish. Yes. But, yeah, think of how long that took for basically all of his friends to, to find out. So that was great. Uh, Pete Ross I thought was kind of funny just because we know him and – in two different ways, he became president, didn't he, in the comics? Yes. And then uh, you've got, of course, the Pete Ross and Smallville. But, yeah, I, I liked how they did Willis. I was unsure how they were going to do it. I'm surprised they didn't connect her to General Lane because she was with the military basically like half of the movie, and there was no mention of her military Great background. point, Stella, and I agree. Yeah, I, I certainly thought there would be an inclusion there of Sam Lane. Um, and no Jimmy Olsen. Did you miss Jimmy Olsen here? I did miss Jimmy Olsen, yeah. Okay. But I guess her uh, cohort, that man that hit on her, I don't know if you've read the John Byrne, no, what am I thinking of, Death of Superman, when Superman's mm-hmm. gone and that guy in the ponytail, is that the same character? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. The guy in the ponytail comes back from somewhere and, and hits on her and says, you know, my offer's still open for you to come uh, to the world with me. Okay. I don't know if that was the same guy or not, because I think they used to work together. Where's Michael Bailey when you need him to I ask you Superman yep. questions? Uh, but I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you liked it, and I'm glad that, I mean, it was a great movie, at least, so. Was there a pretty fair uh, turnout where you were? Did with Packed House? Moderately. I went to the 7 p.m. showing, like, the day before it released. I had to go to Walmart to get my passes, which was the strangest thing ever. I don't know why you have to go to Walmart to get them, mm-hmm. but it was, it was an okay turnout. I don't know how it was for you. Fairly packed house. Did the audience seem to be buzzing with excitement as they were leaving the theater here or were they more so more subdued crowd uh, how would you say what the crowd reaction was when you oh uh, yeah i think it was so so some of them seems more excited about it than than others were it was a it was a mixed crowd maybe because i went to the 2d instead of the i don't really like 3d and then the other thing was imax 3d and I wasn't about to pay $16 for that. So maybe I just was in the wrong viewing theater and all the excited people were in the uh, the IMAX 3D. But yeah, I mean, I was excited when I left, so I can't say what other people thought. But Okay. Okay, well, I guess we'll get into the, uh, the reviews here. Now, one thing I thought was pretty strange for these two comics that we're going to review for the old ones is that Detective all of a sudden went from a 60-page book which was basically my last episode. I had these long books to, yeah, a 24-page book with just two stories. And I thought, what is up with that? Um, I don't know if you have any idea as to why it suddenly dropped 
basically to half the size or less than that or anything. Back around the time, uh, it was another micro DC uh, quote unquote implosion. Oh no! Uh, the, the, a lot of uh, dollar titles went by the wayside. I think one, uh, two that did continue were uh, Superman Family mm-hmm. and World's Finest, and I think one of the uh, war titles also remained a dollar book. But all the rest went to a fifty cent format and had a regular. Uh, lead feature, and then like a 10-page co-feature. Over in Flash, for example, they had a backup of Firestorm stories. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, because I was wondering, uh, DC seems to be hurting in this time period. This is basically, yeah, the second time that this has happened. Mm-hmm. A strange little shake-up. Uh, well, first up, we have Detective Comics 496, and this particular story, the 10-page backup, is uh, Stealer of Souls. And the cover date was November 1980. Writer Carrie Burkett, penciler Jose Delbo, inker Bob Smith, letterer Gaspar Saladino, and colorist Gene D'Angelo. And also including this issue, the main story was Murder of the Mystery Ship featuring Batman. So the room is thick with smoke and a sharp, pungent odor of incense, which burns the nostrils. Though the man in the center takes no notice, Dr. Voodoo asks the gods of Voodoo to penetrate his yearning soul and deliver unspeakable power to his vessel. A follower in a business suit pops in, unbidden, saying that an intruder has been found listening at the door. And this groovy man merely wonders what's going on, not frightened by Dr. Voodoo's mumbo-jumbo. But Voodoo soon cures him of this, using the power of his gods to make the man mindless and follow any command. Across the city, Babs is sitting in the living room of Jim and Tracy Dover, where Tracy has been waiting to show something to Babs. She suddenly stands by herself, walking a short distance, and this is all due to Babs and her encouragement. Tracy goes to bed, leaving Jim and Babs alone. Babs contemplating her own life without a mother, and Jim talking about his plants, which seem to like the same music that he does, Bach and Beethoven. Jim makes a cup of coffee for Babs, remembering all the details of it. He thanks her for helping them find a new apartment. Babs says it was merely her job, and Jim hopes it was more than just this and more of a personal interest. And uh, then Babs kisses him, so shipper there. Yeah, a little romance. In another section of town, D.A. Charles Turner and Detective Cameron look at enough evidence to start a full-scale investigation to prove that Babs murdered Congressman Scanlon. Mid-morning at the famous Diamond District of Gotham City, Dr. Voodoo and his minions overlook the hustle and bustle. Voodoo uses some sort of divining rod which creates a pulse through the air in a rhythmic, hypnotic pattern. Everywhere, people stop and begin to give Voodoo all of the ice that they have. At the same time, Babs heads out on a walk to clear her head since she cannot do work without thinking about Jim. On her walk, an old man comes out exclaiming that the diamond exchange is being robbed. Babs changes into Batgirl and rushes in, befuzzling Voodoo. She goes after the minions, one of them sporting some yellow dye on his hands, which is, of course, a detail we need to keep in mind, until Voodoo runs down the stairs and throws a floorboard at Babs, knocking her to the ground. The old man from earlier helps her to her feet. The spell wears off the other people, and Batgirl is confused as to why the old man was not affected. Speak up, dearie. I can't hear you. So there's another quill. 
Uh, later, Batgirl rides on her cycle away from Jeff, the man who stores her bike, after asking him for a strange favor. Tracing the yellow dye she saw on the perp's hand to a leather dye factory, she bursts in on Voodoo, who is about to make her a mindless minion, when Jeff rides on the street below, blasting out Beethoven's Ode to Joy. The music catches Voodoo off guard and loosens his hold on his minions. Batgirl throws a bat rope around Voodoo, but he breaks it, throws some threats around that he will return, and jumps out of the window. Later, a police officer writes up Jeff, which was kind of funny, for breaking the noise ordinance, but Batgirl swoops in and tells the cop that he was operating on police business. And so ends this. (laughs) So what were your thoughts on this uh, particular issue or story? Great original name, huh? I mean, yeah. for, for a new villain. Uh, yeah. This is not the last we will see of him, as you know. A little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, I do like that Batgirl has uh, someone else new in her rogues gallery. Um, and uh, the story moved along at, about at a 10-page pace. Now, when we talked about uh, the, the, the size of the book, I did count the pages. There was no content lost as far as the Batgirl story was concerned, at least. There was 10 pages in the previous issue, 10 pages here. Somehow, I feel like I got less, though, from, from the, the previous issue uh, as far as far as the story was concerned. It, it sort of moved along sort of like at a uh, comic strip serial pace. That said, though, we did have a little bit of mild action. I, I hated to see Babs get overpowered by the floorboard so quickly. Darn it. That said, but we've got somebody new here. I'll, I'll go 7 out of 10 bats on this one. 7 out of 10. So did you get any Temple of Doom vibe, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? No, I didn't. Good call there, though. <laughs> I don't know. when the first, Just the first bit, I thought, oh, man, I'm reading an Indiana Jones comic. He, he's an interesting character. I feel like we haven't had sort of a supernatural foe since we saw Madame Zodiac back in Batman Family number 18. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it was great to pull that in, and of course, it was also great to ground it in reality. So there was something supernatural about him, but I think it there was also something realistic that this divining rod was, was able to do something. So I did like that. Bab's side storyline with uh, her and that family, little by little, we're getting more shipperific. And, and here she kisses him. What are your thoughts about this uh, romance that has started up? Oh, boo hiss. I don't, I don't care for this. I was always, I was, always thought uh, it was her and Dick. You know, yeah. ever since they started, something was happening a little bit in, in, in the Batman Family series when they were, had their little adventures together. I was, I was sad to see that kind of go by the wayside. I don't care so much for this guy, and I don't see what he brings to the table. That's just me. But. Yeah. Uh, and what do you think about those? I, this is the second time we've had this aside where there's a detective or the district attorney is looking at this evidence and it's very vague as to what's going on. And of course, this is going to play or start to play a big part in the next story that we'll do and then afterwards. But they're basically only giving us two panels and it's really smack in the middle of the story. So it really throws me off when it does this and then really no information whatsoever. So had you not read the next issue that we'll review, what were your thoughts when just those panels sort of came in and didn't really I, tell us anything? I, I, I thought it was, um, uh, they were planting a seed of something that's going to be revealed down the road. I thought, I thought that was, as far as execution, I thought it was done right. As far as me having an interest toward it, eh, you know, it was too soon to tell, having, having not, have, not knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like 
Jeff a little bit more. Uh, the last time we saw him was very random. We only hear that Babs had some sort of history with him, but he actually tells us in his aside that he helped her with her second congressional campaign, so I'm glad that we're getting some backstory with him. And I did like that Voodoo ran off, even though I question it somehow because I wonder why Batgirl didn't just jump out of the window and go after him. But, I mean, most of her cases really are wrapped up within an issue or or two. And so I'm glad that we actually have the hope of seeing him again and maybe we've got a good rogue that we can hope for. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, I actually agree with you and I, I'd give it a, uh, a 7 out of 10 as well. Also, did you know from some historical context, cover dated the same uh, time, we had New Teen Titans number one, which had Cyborg, uh, Starfire, and Raven. And we had Amazing Spider-Man number 210, which was the first appearance of Madam Web. Moon Knight got his own solo title with uh, art by Bill Sienkiewicz and written by Doug Meenick. And over in Uncanny X-Men number 139, Kitty Pride joined the X-Men. So if you all happen to be... At the comic uh, store, right when this issue came out, that's also what you may have found. That's pretty exciting. I I need someone like you to to tell me this sort of history and what is going on at the same time. I'm actually a a big Kitty Pride fan. I don't talk a lot about Marvel, I think, besides Spider-Man on this show. But I've been getting the X-Men Essentials uh, just to read from her first appearance onward. And, of course, she changes costumes. How many times? And and names Sprite Sprite and Ariel. Ariel. Yeah, so... Very cool. Okay, any other thoughts on that particular issue? No, I'm ready to jump into Detective 497. Oh, boy. Yeah, and this actually goes along well with what's going on currently in Batgirl just because it's murderess and we know that she's having some issues uh, in the Gail Simone wrong. So, yeah, tell us what goes on here. Okay, Detective Comics number 497, cover dated December 1980. Uh, The cover art is Jim Aparo. Uh, the Batman story is a story titled Bad Night in Baja. The comic also features Superman and a hostess Twinkie ad. And from a, <laughs> and from a historical standpoint, DC also offered this month Brave and Bold number 169, where Batman teamed up with Satana. Justice League number 185, where the Justice League and the Justice Society had their annual meeting and teamed up to take on Darkseid. Uh, we had the first appearance of Deathstroke in New Ooh. Teen Titans number two. Going over to Marvel, uh, let's see. Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four teamed up in Marvel team-up number 100. Marvel's What If title answered the question, what would happen if Spider-Man had rescued Gwen Stacy? Oh, boy. And the first United States comic book appearance of Doctor Who happened in Marvel Premiere number 57. And over in Archie, Betty and Veronica celebrated their 300th issue. Okay. So the story, Barbara Gordon, murderous. <laughs> I had to emphasize that there. So we had Barbara Gordon, ellipses, murderous. <laughs> okay. Writer Carrie Burkett. Uh, artists are Jose Delbo and Joe Giella. Uh, letterer is Milt Snappen. Colorist, Gene D'Angelo. And it was edited by Paul Levitz. I had a quote from this story, Stella, I'd like to open with. Oh, please do. As an adolescent, I never felt that I was attractive to boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Maybe, maybe I was too competitive with them. While other girls were going on dates, I wound up spending most of the time with books. And kind of developed a plain Jane attitude about myself. Even now, it's sometimes hard for me to believe that men find me attractive. Okay. You just highlighted the most ridiculous part I found of this entire issue, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that. Okay. Well, let's see. Our story opens. Uh, Finding no trace of Dr. Voodoo, Batgirl concludes her patrol. 
and she hopes that Supergirl or Wonder Woman can take him if he ever shows up again. Hey, that's not the bad girl I know. <laughs> she spots and corrals a pair of thieves at Jeff's service station, and upon calling the police, she reconsiders keeping her bad cycle there. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Uh, the next day at work, Barbara and her co-worker Doreen have lunch together, and their conversation topic is the men in Barbara's life, Jim Dover and Richard Bender. Back at work, Barbara is questioned by Detective Cameron about the murder of Congressman Scanlon. He asks, where were you on the night of June 18th? Seriously, he does. Barbara recalls being at his party and sneaking out to stop some burglars. Cameron then shows Babs a pic of her going upstairs and a bottle of sleeping pills with her fingerprints on it. Babs thought that uh, he died of a heart attack, but an autopsy revealed that he was poisoned. Babs later recalls that someone left a bottle of sleeping pills on her desk and then later take, took them after she examined them. Cameron then goes to Assistant DA uh, District Attorney Turner's office, where we there learn that uh, Turner has a grudge against Commissioner Gordon. Turner tells Cameron that uh, Scanlon was going to drastically cut funding at the Humanities Research and Development where Barbara works. Uh-huh, so now we have a motive. Then Turner produces a slip of paper that Babs had bought the poison that was similar to the one used in the murder. Uh, the, our story ends with uh, the two uh, of them, the DA and Cameron, going to uh, Barbara uh, Gordon's apartment and arresting her. To be continued. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, please go first. Well, I, this was sort of not what I saw coming. Um, when I got this comic book, too, I have to tell you, we said we kind of glossed over uh, uh, Jim Aparo did the cover art and let, sort of left it at that. But it's a gorgeous, stunning cover. If, and we see Batgirl in costume in a cell and with Batman and Robin, a guard and her dad, Commissioner Gordon, looking at her through the bars. And I thought, wow, we're going to see this in the comic. Yeah. You don't see that in the comic, unfortunately. Wow. I, I just thought, uh, okay, she's framed. Now what? Uh, and how many issues is, uh, is it going to take for them to wrap this up so we can sort of get going on to the next one? I, I, I think this was more of a um, something for a Sunday night drama that could have been tied up in an hour. And I just, I just really didn't feel this for some reason. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, well, number one, I do really miss way back in the Silver Age. However, I guess it was two years ago for my show. But the fact that the covers always related directly to something in the actual issue. And it was really like a snapshot of a scene that had happened. And I really miss that because a lot of the covers that we're seeing now and even present time, um, they can be like completely off the wall and don't relate at all to what's going on inside. So I do miss, I do miss the silver age. I really agree with you there. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff that goes on in here. The worst thing I think that occurs in this issue is just the characterization of Babs. Like I feel like we went back to the silver age because the way she prattles on about Jim, just like this sort of schoolgirl, and then she gets all dressed up and is talk worrying about her roast mm -hmm. uh, i thought oh man this is like donna reed or something is in my comic book right now so i was i was just shocked it just didn't seem like yeah the babs that that we all know and love some details i mean don't you think she would have thought it was a little more odd that there was a pill bottle in her office and to not just put it away in her drawer but to actually investigate what was going on that seemed mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, and then her father, the commissioner, is, is missing. Mm -hmm. 
how does a commissioner go missing? Yes. And is that just is it just convenient to the story that yes. he's gone? Oh, uh, oh man. How many bats uh, are we talking here, Stella? Oh my gosh, I give it a five. I don't think. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll meet you five. I'll go maybe four and a half. Um, okay. If not, well, five because of the Jim O'Para cover. I, I love the cover. Yeah. Uh, I do like seeing the Batgirl depicted in her cell. But hey, she's wearing her utility belt. My God, <laughs> you would have thought you would taken out. I would, or maybe perhaps yeah. it's already been emptied beforehand and uh, then given back to her. One could assume uh, that uh, the GCPD was that brilliant and had the foresight to do that before locking her up yeah i feel like this story had potential if only from the cover because i think it it had the ability to be a good suspense story with babs in jail trying to prove her innocence but it just sort of came together like a clunky crime novel where all these pieces are swarming around but none really fit together i don't know how this is going to be wrapped up i also wonder how dirty the people are involved like this district attorney turner because he has some sort of history with the commissioner that we don't really know about or the detective that's you know on the scene i just wonder how all these people are gonna come together agreed yeah and then you have her workplace and all those people as well so Mm -hmm. who knows I don't know if I should comment about Richard or not because apparently he's just been forgotten. And Jason Bard has been forgotten too because I don't Bab says something about uh, hardly believing that she uh, feels this way this strongly for Jim. And I thought, wait, what? What about Jason Bard? Yeah, what where, about, yeah, what about all these other, you know, I, they, they, they just seem so dismissed over the lunch. And I, I thought, how, how rare is it to see her talking about the men in her life yet? These these two guys right now are the are are, are sort of number one and two. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, I, I thought. Yeah. And then she basically dismisses Richard and, and saying almost as if she never liked his advances, but all in all of her thought bubbles, she kept commenting on how attractive he was. So it just seems like now that we've got this Jim character, that we can get rid of everyone else. But yeah, it was just not a good issue really compared to some other past ones that we've had so that's disappointing so hopefully the next one i guess if they wrap it up i think you're right that they'll probably do it quickly hopefully it'll make up for the lack that was in this one let's hope (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh well we're going to take a break and uh when we come back we're going to review background number 20 and birds of prey number 20 but first we have zias's radio hour featuring cold as ice by foreigner
and we're back. <laughs> um, first question before we get into this review here, I, I would like to know, or have you been reading the Gail Simone Batgirl run? Yes. Okay. And what are your thoughts in general on it? Uh, Stella, it's, it's been kind of heartbreaking, and I, I've, I think I, my sentiments echo yours. Uh, I, I love the character, and I don't know if there's something going on with, uh, uh, from a creative standpoint or an editorial standpoint, but it, it's, just, it's just not up to uh, the standards that I had hoped for this book, and it's been, it's been a little disappointing of late, to, yeah. to be blunt. Yeah, well, I'm happy to to hear you say that, <laughs> just that, you know, so I know I'm not crazy, but I am always interested to hear if somebody likes it and to hear the reasoning for liking it, but uh, I do think there is something weird going on. I just wonder if the pressure is so great on Gail Simone to produce that it's almost gotten to her, because I, she has so much potential and we've seen really good stuff out of her, so I don't know where this is coming from. But, yeah, it just tears down the character for me, which is sad. Uh, and we'll see what we have to say about this particular issue. And this is, of course, the first appearance of, I guess, our generation's ventriloquist. I don't even, the new 52 ventriloquist. So yes. let's see how this goes. Okay, we're going with Batgirl number 20. Cover art is by Eddie Barrows uh, and Eber Fiera and Blonde. Uh, our story is titled, A Splinter Where My Heart Should Be. Writers Gail Simone, pencilers Daniel Sampierre, and Carlos Rodriguez. Inker Jonathan Glapion with Vincent, Vincente Cifuentes for pages 16 and 17. Our colorist is blonde, and our letterer is Dave Sharp. Our story opens seven years ago in the Gotham suburbs, in the backyard birthday party attended by one Shauna Belzer. Teased by the other children, Shauna finds a discarded bottle of poison. Smash cut to being picked up by her parents, Shauna tells them that the others all suddenly got sick, and she has made off with the party entertainer's dummy and names him Ferdy, complete with suspicious, but dismissed, blood splatter on his little puppet forehead. Presently, a cried-out Barbara, with mascara-stained cheeks, barges into her therapist's office. Without giving away her other identity, she recalls, somehow, of how she came upon the auditions to a show called Gotham's Got a Star. And I hope you're sitting down, uh, Stella. <laughs> Shauna is there auditioning with her ventriloquist act. Failing to win over the judges, Shauna has Ferdy kill one of them while she kidnaps Xavier, another judge. Batgirl confronts them, but Ferdy appears to suddenly have some telekinetic powers and they get away. Finishing her story with the therapist, Barbara recalls a license plate number of the ventriloquist's car. We cut to Shauna's parents' house, where we see Xavier is seated between Shauna's murdered parents. We then cut to a fruitless search for James Jr.'s body by the waterfront, and Commissioner Gordon vowing, Batgirl will pay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, Stella, I'm glad I'm the one to ask you this. <laughs> last, last month, uh, when I heard the podcast, the previous issue of Batgirl got a two. Pats. <laughs> Stella, tell me. We, we can only go up from here, can't we? No, what no. are you thinking right now? What am I thinking? That this was an awful introduction to yet another awful villain. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. I don't know. I, I wish that we'd have a great villain that we would actually maybe love to hate 
or someone that we care about. And we not only have her this issue and next issue, but we also have an origin story coming up for her, I think, in the, the September month with like 55 other bad books. Yes. Ugh. What what did you think of this ventriloquist? Which I, I just have to think back to the awesomeness that was the ventriloquist in Batman, the animated series, and just how great that was. And Boy, and you know, and, and I wasn't one of the huge Arnold Wesker ventriloquist fans, mm-hmm. but... But after seeing this, it just yeah, I I I, I think I I've come to appreciate the Wesker and Scarface characterizations much much more. Uh, I I thought it played out as as some type of Halloween horror story. Uh, there's a lot of things going on here, but not really explained. The story starts with Shauna being nine years old, and we sort of miss what happens to her development. How come the parents don't question? what's going on here uh we 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 find ourselves in the present time and if this happened nine years ago and shauna's uh depicted as an adolescent i can't help think she's maybe 18 here yeah. if not old, any older we we don't know somehow we we, we find that the uh Ferdy the has some sort of can become his own entity and has these telekinetic powers that can freeze the Barbara's uh, Batgirl's batarang throw in midair. That that's never really gotten into. We don't yeah. know what's going on with that. Quite quite an uneven story. Um, I, I liked the cover. I would not give this to any girl wanting to look to read their first Batgirl comic though. Um, <laughs> For sure, yeah. I, I was I was taken aback. I, I can't. I, Going up more than two bats is, is something. It's it's moving the needle, but it's not by much. I really can't go more than four on this. Okay. Well, I I I do also wonder about this this telekinetic power, and is it coming from Ferdy or is it coming from the girl? And it's just sort of unclear whether she has some sort of powers or if it is coming from her her little doll. Donovan calls it a um a horny little doll because he does actually make some <laughs> inappropriate comments mm-hmm. uh, and he does in the the next issue as well which I shall not spoil gosh you know when we first see her I, I kept thinking it's Tuesday Adams from the Adam family because <laughs> she's got the same little frock I wonder what sort of parents would leave a bottle of uh, what was it pa- plant killer or weed killer out. something that had the skull and crossbones on it i guess we don't really know careful when there's a birthday yes. party going on villains all of the villains i feel like we've we've found i mean gretel especially i'm thinking about mirror they all have these tragic and traumatic backstories do you think this is is this just gonna be what's what happens i mean every villain that we come across is going to be have this tragic backstory what do you think about that I think so, and uh, I'm I'm dying for some type of incarnation of Killer Moth long about now, actually, to show up, because I, I, I just don't want the, the one note on the piano. I just uh, I would just like to see uh, even a themed villain at this point with some brains who could match wits yeah. with Barbara uh, on, on, on a plane. Uh, I, I'm just not liking what I'm seeing so far. I like, the, I like that we're going with a rogues gallery. I just would like to see a, uh, an intelligent villain who, who could really do some mental sparring with her. Mm-hmm. Do you wonder at all why the girl was so emaciated and, and very thin when she came to her Gotham Star audition? Yes, I did. I, I and, But we, we don't get any explanation. And, yeah. yeah. So do you care about this character's backstory because we will read it I, in, I, I in did. the coming months? Well, I don't... Uh, hmm. 
that particular if it's told in an interesting way that that's not from a horror movie per, per se maybe maybe so but i i have a i have a bad feeling i'm not going to see anything original in the forthcoming months yeah yeah uh, my next, I guess, negative point is Barbara's characterization just bursting into the <laughs> psycho. I I don't know if she was a psychiatrist or psychologist. Tears running down. She had been drinking, but apparently she doesn't normally drink alcohol or coffee. Just really breaking down, and then all of a sudden snapping right out of it. And and once she realizes that she remembered something key, and going to work. This seemed like a far cry from. Well, any sort of barber that we've encountered. Thank you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I can't help thinking that if she had, if she was actually close to her father in this particular series, that he would snap her out of it because, you know, recently she lost her second, well, she lost her congressional seat, and then she was also shot, uh, and that sort of threw off a little bit. And both times, Jim was there to sort of snap her out of it and, and give her the encouragement and confidence that she needed to get going. And here, it's just like... She She's really broken down. She's really upset about killing her brother, even though, spoiler, he's alive and he's on Suicide Squad now. And she wants to separate herself, it seems, from everyone else. And she was already very insular because she told Richard Grayson, a.k.a. Nightwing, that she didn't really want anything to do with him at the moment. And then, of course, the death of the family situation where everyone's away from Batman. And now she rips off the bat symbol on her suit. So I'm... Say what? Uh, yeah. And, of course, the police are after her. So it's it's almost as if everyone is against Batgirl. It's Batgirl versus the world. I don't really know what to think about this. What did you think about Babs' characterization in this particular issue? I, I would love to see a, bat, a Barbara Gordon and read a story from cover to cover where she wasn't crying. Can yeah. I just, just for one issue, I just want... <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Where you, no. you know, I, I, I miss I miss the the, the tough Babs. The the yeah, I, I miss I think I, I miss the one that has the, the 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 little something extra in her system to 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 overcome things. I, you know, granted, you know, I can. This is a character going through a lot of things and and emotions, what have you. But I, I just think she she doesn't really have that mental fortitude and, and strength and the the mindset that she she once displayed in previous books. Yeah. And I was thinking back when I was writing my notes up for this, uh, the fact that she's supposed to have a, a degree in forensic psychology, and I just thought that maybe that would be a help to her now with everything that's going on, but I guess not. But this character in this particular book for 20 issues really seems to have a sinusoidal emotional path because she seems to have her lows and her highs all the time, and there's really not a consistency to her, unfortunately. You nailed it. Yeah, I do. The last thing uh, is just the whole situation with the police. It seems like a complete turnaround, Jim, to go from I want my son caught no matter the cost to now he's mourning the loss of his son and he's out for blood. What are your thoughts on this and him going after Batgirl and Barbara Sr. apparently not seeing anything, which is a little unbelievable. What do you think about all of this? I think it's moving extremely slow, and I'm very <laughs> disappointed with the, yeah. with the way it's progressing there. I, I think it, when I saw the last page, I thought, well, isn't this a deja, deja vu from the previous page? Oh, no, no, they're just, just searching for the body. Oh, well, we haven't 
I wish that had already been established and and we can sort of move on and and get over this. I, I want, I'm I'm looking forward to when all of the loose ends are tied up with this, and uh, I'm wondering what Batgirl the title will look like uh, a year from now, and and I'm hoping it's in a much much better place. Yeah, I too hope that. Uh, sometimes I wonder if Gail Simone listens to Batgirl to Oracle because things seem to pop up from the old issues that I'm reading in these new issues. So here, like I said, we've got Batgirl murderous going on, and I just wonder, oh, maybe Gail Simone's listening right now. Uh, but who knows? I too hope that there, this book is in a better place with some better villains. And you said about Killer Moth coming in. I'd love to see him, but I'm also sort of frightened by what the new 52 <laughs> Killer Moth would look like because I have a, there's a special place in my heart for him, and I, know. I would hate for it to be ripped out. <laughs> that would be awful. To be honest, I don't know if I can uh, give it anything... I gave the last one 2 out of 10. I feel like I'm about to give it a 2 out of 10 again. I, Ooh, I, I know. It does a, a <laughs> lateral move, a lateral move. We did I don't not, know. Yeah, it's still not go up. Okay. It's, yeah, not really. Okay. So we'll see. Unfortunately, the next issue is worse, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, so uh, yeah, and I, I've, I've got a copy in red too. So, but as, as when this is being recorded, I think the last. Uh, Batgirl 21 came out the previous week for yeah. those who are wondering what's going on with our conversation here. Yeah, so you read it? Mm, yes. So I have two questions for you. I think it'll be fine if we talk about it. And I mean, I'll obviously review it more in depth next episode. But two things that really struck me were the violence mm-hmm. in a Batgirl comic. And then uh, actually, like, the horny little do- dolls, uh, <laughs> his dialogue <laughs> gets even worse. But no, the violence I just thought was over the top and... I know the Bat family just seems really dark right now, but I feel like Batgirl needs to be that more uplifting and lighter part of the family. I did you were you turned off at all by the violence? Did you think it was just too much? And I, I was, and I, 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 I was just blown away by um, uh, the family of Bat books that we're seeing this sort of thing happening here. Now, not that you know, it, not that it can't happen in Nightwing or wherever, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I just thought it was just really, really over the top. And I wondered if, what, a part of me wondered if, what if the ventriloquist had cut, had uh, encountered Cassandra Cain's Batgirl? What, what then? What if the, this villain had popped up and fought Stephanie? Uh, you, Lord only knows. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I just, uh, here, here we have it with Barbara. And, uh, yeah, um, if, if you gave this, a, if you gave the number 22, I shudder to think what you're going to give 21 when you review that <laughs> next month. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was, it, it's, it's not pretty gang. So uh, no. just, just hold your breath and uh, write out the summer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we still love you. We still love you, Barbara. And we still love you, Gail. But we, we were just, we're just waiting for the tide to turn a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Stephanie Brown series, I would recommend to anyone, uh, you know, kids even. But this one, like, I would say there's got to be an age limit because just some of the things that go on in there, I, I just, I, I feel like Batgirl should be an all-ages book almost. I mean, maybe a little bit rougher than all ages, maybe not K+, plus, but it, this is like heavy teen or yes. higher. So it just stinks. But Agreed. Yeah. Well, next up we have Birds of Prey. Have you you read this title? I assume. Yes, I do. Do you generally like Birds of Prey? I, I like the characters. Now, Stella, you really called it. Just to remind the podcast listeners for the last time, you knew uh, with, 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 you made the right call with uh, Starling. Yeah. 
kudos to you. I, met, I wanted <laughs> to congratulate you. you on that. You saw it. Yeah. You saw it coming. Those now, things don't happen often, yeah. Well, but you were hoping for a little bit of a backstory and an explanation as to how this came about in uh, issue number 20. Were you let down? A li- yeah, I was a little bit because it's very vague. She just says that they had a pass when she was working um, at the Iceberg Lounge. But right, what's up yeah. with that? I just, I yeah. I don't know. Uh, how do you like Christy Marks uh, in comparison to Swarzynski? Do you think the, the shift was seamless or could you really tell there was a difference between the two writers? I, if it, at best, it was a subtle difference. I re- to be honest, I really didn't notice much of a, yeah. a transitional change. I didn't either, yeah. Okay, well, Birds of Prey number 20, it's called The Cruelest Cut. Writer Christy Marks, pencil Romano Molinar, inker Jonathan Glapion, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. And a special editor's note, <laughs> got all of those, uh, this issue actually takes place before Backroll number 20, so she's not as emotionally unhinged uh, <laughs> in this <laughs> issue than she is in the previous issue we just reviewed. Shocked faces all around as the revelation of Starling's betrayal settles in. Dinah is angry, rightfully so, and Ev tries to make it better by saying it was very hard. Ev explains that she and Mr. Freeze go way back, but she's only been working with him this time for a few weeks. Dinah keeps Ev talking as Batgirl tries to thaw out Strix. Ev tries to get Dinah and the birds to work together, explaining that they are all after the owls and the enemy of my enemy and all of that. Freeze refreezes Strix, and the owl scientists who are lurking take the opportunity to run. Starwind shoots at them, but Condor uses his uh, telekinetic powers to block the bullets, but also putting the other birds in danger. Batgirl goes after Starwind as Condor and Canary go to Freeze, but he puts up an ice wall and leaves. Starwind tries to get Batgirl to see the mission, but she just punches her in the jaw instead. Condor is having trouble getting through the ice and tries to convince Canary to use her Canary cry, but she does not want to lose control yet again. Condor wants to help, but of course so did Kurt, and he's dead. So they use thermite grenades and C4 instead. Meanwhile, the runaway owls call the Grand Master, telling him the defective came back. Good. Keep her there. Suddenly, Freeze shows up and demands to know the missing element in the process that gives the Talons their astounding regenerative ability. He gets it, but he takes an eye and two lives for it. Freeze radios Ev to meet him at the rendezvous. Ev runs past the birds and Dinah, loses control, and uses her canary cry to basically bring down the way out. Good thing there's another way. Strix is still in ice, and Batgirl convinces Canary to use the rest of the C4, good thinking, to break up the ice, and Strix will heal after, she says. Canary and Condor go upstairs to look for Freeze, while Batgirl and Strix go outside to find some warm sunlight. Unfortunately, Talon, with a capital T, shows up, uh, and next up, it's Talon versus Talon to the death. Oh, hell. <laughs> yes, I'm yes. sure that's what everyone's thinking. So uh, Dustin over at the Batman universe thought it was all too convenient that all of this talent stuff is going on. What Agreed. Are your thoughts? Yeah. You uh, also think that it's convenient. Yeah. It, this 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 had a lot of uh, it, it, smelling of of let's tie in as much as we can here and uh, generate some interest for somewhere else perhaps. But uh, I, I'm in agreement with that. How do you like Strix being on the team? Do you think that she makes a good extra member? The jury's still out in my book. I, I'm still trying to get past Condor looking like the wizard from uh, the Frightful Four in Marvel Comics. <laughs> so. That's true. <laughs> he does. I never even, yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's a ragtag team right now, and it, they have some issues, I think. I mean, Poison Ivy, some betrayal, and now we've got Ev as b- betraying the team. So they don't have a good track record. No. Do you have like a favorite core group for Birds of Prey? And and I could say, Stella, put in any female characters that you would like. What what would they? What would those? Uh, what would your uh, perfect Birds of Prey team be? My perfect Birds of Prey team. I put her on the spot. Oh, well, no, I my like core team I think would be Dinah and Babs, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how it all started out, and and I think it worked really well. Huntress, but Huntress is, you know, I'm going to go like classic Chuck Dixon basically, but Huntress is sometimes she can't be controlled. I almost, I I think it'd be really great to see in place of Strix, Cassandra Cain. Thank Um, you. Yeah, I think that would be great. And she would almost play the same part. Of course, now she can, she can actually talk now, depending on what New 52 Cassandra would look like. But just she's a go-getter and she follows commands and she had a really close relationship with Babs. So I think that would be a great team. But I think the the bigger the team, the more issues. So I would almost want like a, a smaller, close-knit team where Babs would be Oracle again, sort of running things at the center. Dinah would be team leader and then Cass would be sort of the the real big field op agent but i think that would be it'd be interesting we haven't seen cast on a team like that but that would be an awesome team how about you i i agree with those i would i would just make an inclusion for lois lane just to have some little bit behind the scenes sort of covert <laughs> oh, part doing some kind of a black op kind of operative uh and and yeah. toss her in for one story arc and then she has to leave the team but yeah i i'm in agreement with you yeah she was in like a random birds of prey way back that's in the day. right yeah, yeah when it was still sort of those one issues that were going around and Catwoman was mm-hmm. a member too yeah that would be that would be cool she would be very undercover not doing the field agent but uh yeah that would be that would be interesting last issue Stella you gave this a seven now do, do how are we doing now with uh, number 20 here I actually I give it an, <laughs> a nine you give it a nine I, I actually I, thought it was really good I, I thought, uh, even despite the fact that you didn't get too much of the Starling stuff uh, that you wanted, you're still you're still going to go nine. I still go nine. I I thought that Starling was actually written really well, even though we didn't get a lot of information on how she knew Freeze and and their backstory. I think everything that came out of her mouth was really convincing, and it sounded like something that she would say. You know, trying to make everything better, which of course those things never do. Trying to convince uh, Dinah and Batgirl to work with her. I just thought, yeah, this is this is the character of the voice. I thought so. the issue. Yeah, I thought the issue was executed well from scene to scene. Uh, the the dialogue was right on, and it just moved from one little uh, cliffhanger to another little cliffhanger, a la 1970s Marvel titles. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely meet you there. Uh, same grade, definitely. I still wonder what Freeze wants with the formula. That's a question that I have. And then what Freeze did for Starling, which I guess just goes with their backstory, because she says that she owes him. Yeah, hopefully so. we'll get something there. Yeah, um, uh, you shouldn't have said that. Now I'm going to go. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> you can't change it. You can't uh, take I it can't back. change it in the middle. Of, okay. Oh, fine. Right, no, okay. I'll let you, but you have okay, to reason go. it out then. All right. Uh, will do. I also like how sort of the line between heroes and villains was really blurred in this because the heroes that we would think were heroes also seemed like the the bad guy like the bad guys also had good reasoning for for what they were doing so freeze and ev you thought well they are against the talons and the owls the court so 
they're kind of good too. So I just like how you're kind of thinking about, well, who's good and who's bad in this Mm -hmm. particular issue. Condor, knowing more about Dinah and her loss of control, kind of wonder where that came from because Ev was the only one who really knew what was going on with her. And we're still throwing around Kurt's name as if we know him really well, but we really don't know much of anything about him. Stella, do you have a, an opinion on Condor either way? Is it, is it a character you, you think might be contrived? Is it, is it worthy of being around the, 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 the characters he's standing with? Pros, cons, any, any feeling? When he first came on the scene, I thought, oh, it's just a guest star. And unfortunately, I was getting some bad Hawk flashbacks from mm-hmm. the volume two, I guess it would be, uh, Birds of Prey, and I didn't really like how he was written. He's starting to grow on me, but he's still sort of a shady character. And even last issue, people weren't trusting him, so that's yes. a bit of an issue. Yeah, I they're just having some... <laughs> bad betrayal issues which is funny because Dinah has that whole speech in the beginning about she thinks she would know better uh, being a natural to the covert ops game and and betrayal being a part of that but really she never saw Poison Ivy coming she never saw Ev coming so maybe she needs to rethink uh, what she's doing and what members they bring on so I, I wouldn't put it past Condor to have some sort of seedy past and something come up with him but maybe there's too much betrayal going on in this book and we need to have some normalcy for a little bit sounds good yeah last question what do you think about Ev and her relationship with Amanda Waller do you think we'll learn anything about that and if I think so but I don't know if this is going to be uh, I don't know necessarily if it's going to be revealed here or, or if there's some sort of grand design where we're going to see something else play out perhaps in the upcoming uh next DC event if you will just don't know yeah I just don't think it's for here to say though yeah and hopefully well I guess I mean Batgirl seems to have a pretty good characterization in this particular book but we'll see if what's going on in her book bleeds over into this particular book whereas I I hope it doesn't actually (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so next up we have Bads in the Tube and this is pretty exciting because we've got a new format coming in Remember, this is the segment where we examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently, I'm watching the 1966 Batman TV series. And this particular episode is The Entrancing Dr. Cassandra. So it was episode 119. That was season 3, episode 25, so the penultimate episode. And it aired March 7th. 1968. We got Adam West as Batman and Bruce Wayne, Burt Ward as Robin and Dick Grayson, Yvonne Craig as Batgirl and Barbara Gordon, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Gordon, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, the great Ida Lupino uh, as Dr. Cassandra Spellcraft, her husband Howard Duff playing Kabbalah, David Lewis uh, was Warden Crichton, Bill Zuckert was the prison captain, and G. David Shine played himself also the Spiffany salesman. Our story opens at high noon at the Astro Avenue branch of Gotham City's Alchemical Bank and Trust Company, a financial institution so conservative it pays no interest at all, even stating as such on one of its doors. 
Our villains, the wife and husband team of Dr. Cassandra and Kabbalah, are present inside. Dr. Cassandra is wearing an orange and purple ensemble complete with a derby and necklace. Wow. Kabbalah is wearing a symbol-covered suit jacket over a red vest, an oversized earring, and quite possibly has the longest mutton chops ever seen in the series' run. As with any good pre-heist ritual, Dr. Cassandra asks her hubby if he's ready, and Kabbalah replies, Like always, Dr. Cassandra, baby. And the two each take a pill, making them invisible allowing them to shove patrons in line, punch the teller, and make off with a sack of money. At his office, Commissioner Gordon is notified of the robbery and is shocked that there were 26 eyewitnesses who didn't see anything. Just as Gordon and Chief O'Hara use the hotline to call Batman, they are suddenly seized by the invisible pair. Dr. Cassandra calls Batman Bruce Wayne, announces herself, and says, Batfink, I'm going to put Gotham City in a trance, and there's nothing you or that junior Birdman can do about it. <laughs> Batman and Robin arrive at Gotham City Police Headquarters, and Barbara Gordon is there administering first aid to the rough-up commissioner and police chief. Batman asks Barbara if there are any books on occult sciences at the library, and Barbara replies that there are many. Back in the villain's lair, Dr. Cassandra explains the pills allow them to blend in the background like camouflage, kind of like uh, Sherlock Holmes' his early yes. camouflage. Uh, so while not really visible, they may as well be. Dr. Cassandra says that stealing $600,000 is not enough and plans to free all the arch villains in the Gotham State Penitentiary. Give them her camouflage pills, form an invisible army, and steal Gotham City blind. Meanwhile, at the Gotham City Public Library, Batman finds out Dr. Sandra is one of the infamous Spellcraft clan. Is she really a doctor? Barbara asks. She's not even a nurse, retorts Batman. Batman then gets a call from the portable bat phone, which is this little tiny <laughs> princess phone attached to his belt. Sort of like a precursor to the cell phone here. Yeah. It's from the commissioner who relays a message from Dr. Cassandra that she plans to steal the Mope Diamond from Spiffany's Jewelry Salon at precisely 2 o'clock. Dr. Cassandra and Kabbalah arrive at Spiffany's on Gotham's fashionable 15th Avenue. Welcome to Spiffany's, folks. I'm G. David Shine. May I serve you today? Uh, just browsing, Dad. One does not browse at Spiffany's, madam. One buys or one leaves. Dr. Cassandra eyes the Mope Diamond, and Batman, Robin, and Batgirl arrive. Dr. Cassandra then brandishes her latest weapon, her unpatented <laughs> Alvino <laughs> ray gun, and fires it at the heroic trio. The trio convulse, and Batgirl looks down on her chest and says, I feel like I'm getting flat. <gasps> what a pity, Cabello replies. Batgirl, Batman, and Robin are then rendered still, stiff, and in two-dimensional forms. Unable to be stopped, Dr. Cassandra and Kabbalah make off with the Mope Diamond. Back in police headquarters, Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara are worried. A bat fight seldom takes more than 40 seconds. They are already a half hour late. O'Hara states the trio should be coming through the door right now, and just on cue, the flattened forms of our heroes are slid underneath the door. The commissioner thinks it must be a prank, yet Chief O'Hara states that even in their condition, he can feel their pulses. O'Hara suggests they call the voice that answers the bad phone for help. Alfred answers and instructs them to take them to the main Gotham City Post Office, care of general delivery, and later in disguise, Alfred picks them up. At Gotham State Penitentiary, 
Dr. Cassandra and Kabbalah take control of the warden's office and release Catwoman, Penguin, Joker, King Tut, Egghead, and the Riddler from their cells. Back in the Batcave, Alfred places our heroes' two-dimensional forms in the three-dimensional Bat Restorer booth. Boy, I wish I had one of those. (laughs) Remotely summons the Batmobile to return to the cave and quickly departs before Batgirl can recognize him. The device works and the trio emerge from the booth back to normal. Batgirl, confused as to where they are, is told she is in the Batcave. Holy giveaways, exclaims Robin. Batman then gets a call from Commissioner... Well, that was fast. Informing him of the mass escape from the prison. Using the bat computer, they ascertain the villain's location is in the basement of the Motor and Pestle building on Abracadabra Alley. The Batmobile arrives, and does a quick 180 turn off camera, and the trio prepare to depart. But not before Batgirl is told by Batman she'll have to be put to sleep. To sleep? This is so she won't learn the location of the Batcave. After a whiff of bat sleep is sprayed to Batgirl's face, Robin comments, You know something, Batman? She looks very pretty when she's asleep. I thought you might eventually notice that, Batman replies. That single statement indicates to me the first oncoming thrust of manhood, old chum. At Dr. Cassandra's lair, Cassandra informs the villains how the loot will be divided. Catman will get the fish markets, Egghead will get the poultry farms, Penguin will get the parks and ponds. King Tut will get the museums. Nice break for King Tut. Uh, the Riddler and the Joker get the amusement parks. And Cassandra tells them that she will get half of everything they steal in exchange for the camouflage pills. Our heroes arrive, and then all the villains quickly take the pills before they can get caught. The invisible villains proceed to pummel and smack around our heroes. The heroes regroup, and Batgirl suggests... Wait a minute. They'd be in the same boat if they couldn't see us. Batman takes out the lights, and in a bat fight shot completely in darkness, the villains are beaten and materialize after they are knocked out. In the teaser for the next episode, Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara enter Minerva's mineral spa. (laughs) Uh, Gordon reassures O'Hara that Dr. Cassandra and Kabbalah won't have any camouflage pills smuggled in, and that Warden Crichton says he will have their cells painted with polka dots. Gordon and O'Hara are about to be treated to eggplant vitamin jelly scalp massages, and Minerva, played by Zsa Zsa Gabor, has the men check in their valuables and escorts them into the back rooms. What an episode! What an episode! That was written by Stanley Ralph Ross, and it was directed by Sam Strangis. Uh, one of the obvious things to get out of the way, too, which, which one would notice watching this, uh, the villains are not portrayed by their usual guest stars. These were uh, extras there, but you did he- hear a Frank Gorshin Riddler uh, giggle, and uh, a, you could hear a penguin quack, uh, definitely yeah. from Burgess Meredith, as that was going on. Oh, man, the mini bad phone. <laughs> that was something that once, well, I didn't know what was going on at first, but when he was reaching around, I thought, what's going on? And uh, when he pulls out, uh, I, almost a face palm, like, oh, what is this? And the Robin, the Robin situation, just him looking over at Batgirl and noticing her beauty and then Batman saying, you know, first thrust of manhood. And I thought to myself, shouldn't Dick already be a man? Isn't he in college? <laughs> is, is he supposed to be like a 13-year-old in this particular yes. TV show? Yes, I certainly yeah. would have noticed uh, Batgirl much, much sooner, I think, if it was me. Yeah. Uh, the sleeping gas. Well, two things about this. Number one, I-, I wonder if the people knew that the show was ending, since this is the second-to-last episode. And why not 
you know, reveal, I guess, identities if, if it's going to be ending and then they can end on this sort of note where it is actually a bat family. Uh, but the sleeping gas really reminded me of uh, Batgirl Year One. I hope you, have you read this? Oh, yes. I okay. loved it. Yeah, yeah. It just reminds me because when she was taken to the Batcave and then I guess, whisk, well, no, whisked away. She was allowed to uh, stay awake, but she was dosed with some sleeping gas, which always bothered me. Um, and Batman, I remember, took off her costume, or Alfred yes. did, who knows. But, it, yeah, it just sort of reminded me of that. What do you think about them not revealing their identities? I, I can see it. Like you, I had the same thought. This was, I'm thinking, you know, close to the last episode. Maybe at one point it was thought it could have been the last episode, so we, we got a treat to have Batgirl go to the cave. Uh, we had a multitude of villains here uh, where everything seemed like it was they were, they were throwing out all the stops. I think they at least settled for Alfred knowing the identity and, yeah. and left it at that. Uh, so... I, I was okay with it. I think eventually if the series had continued, though, evidently, I think uh, the idea uh, identities would have been revealed. Yeah. I did like the the villains, not only their lingo, which I thought, and their, their outfits were wacky, um, but they were fun, and they seemed to actually be a pretty good threat to uh, Batman and Robin, because some of the villains, I guess they're always sort of threatening uh, in the beginning of their plans, but this one seemed like, oh, no, are they really going to get out of this? You've got the two-dimensional... Uh, Avino Ray, and then just the camouflage pills, which I thought were pretty cool, and that that fight before the lights went out. Uh, I thought that the fight was pretty interesting, and I thought, oh no, are they going to get out of this? There was a quote from the writer Stanley Ralph Ross. He said the producers ran over budget on this episode and they could not afford to take the two days necessary to block uh, the fight scenes. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this episode in such a way the fight was shot in the dark. Therefore, the episode was shot in less time. Also, Cassandra was named after a little girl who lived next door to me and always asked to be put in a Batman story. Aw, that's pretty sweet. So this uh, was your first episode. What did you think I, of it when you first saw it? When I Batman? first saw it, I thought, well, is it? are those really the six original actors who played the villains? Because I, I heard the Frank Gorshin laugh for sure, but yeah. I couldn't be sure. And then, you know, you have an older cousin say, no, it's not them. Those are stunned people. No, but gee, I heard him. I saw him, you know. So there was this little element of believability to a whimsical young man's eye. But as you grew, I, I, yeah, I wasn't fooled. But I did like the ambitiousness of the script and what have mm -hmm. you. Yeah. 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 It certainly seemed like a modern story that could take place just with villains breaking other villains out. There were a few other comments, too. Um, the Batman show was used to having just weird and unusual appearances by people. Uh, G. J. G. David Shine was no exception. Uh, he was a figure in the McCarthy hearings back in the 50s, and he was even on the cover of Time magazine on March 22, 1954, with Roy Cohn under the heading McCarthy and His Men. Um, before Batman, he also married Miss Universe 1955. Uh, yeah, and after he got out of politics after the hearings. After Batman, though, he became the executive producer of the movie The French Connection, which went on to win Best Picture in 1971 for the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, Howard Duff, who played Kabbalah, did previously appear on The Batman Show. He was in a cameo with The Bat Climb, and he did a window appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, that episode was The Impractical Joker. Howard Duff died in 1990 at age 76. Oh, in Adam West's book, Back to the Batcave, West commented uh, about Ida Lupino. She had a dignity and strength and reminded me a lot of Barbara Stanwyck. Echoing those same thoughts, in Yvonne Craig's book, From Ballet to the Batcave and Beyond, 
Yvonne Craig commented, It was a wonderful episode, and as an actress, Ida Lupino was a consummate professional and a delightful performer. So that was nice. Yeah, Yeah, Ida Lupino passed away, let's see, in 1995 at age 77. What other things was she in? Um, Do you know offhand? The one thing, uh, numerous movie roles that I can't stand out, but the one thing that as someone who who's a little bit uh, younger and not not of that generation to have seen her in films actively but uh, twilight zone does get okay. run off and she did appear in a classic twilight zone episode where she had long uh, to be uh in her in her old movie roles and she imagined herself as doing that and she just wanted to go back and and, and she called her old friends back and none of them remembered her and they didn't look the same and so in the sequence we see her agent come back and he finds where she is and she looks up on the screen and she is there in the screen with her friends and back in the movies where she had longed to be so that's that's the one thing where i always remember ida lupito from okay twilight zone what an interesting series and a good one too yeah so what did you think of this episode i liked it It, it's tough for me to i guess give like worthy comments of this series because i've got i'm of like two minds one mind is you know obviously i'm of this age that you know i'm used to all this modern television so when i watch these these (laughs) corny shows that you know you've got a sort of bring your mind back to okay this was you know the 60s gotta but uh, I also just love the fact that you know you're watching Batgirl on there and everything and uh, it almost reminded me of the Teen Titans the mad mod guy just with their their clothing and sort of the the zaniness but uh, I I really liked it and and I thought these villains were pretty cool and it was great to see different villains then because I feel like I've seen King Tut a couple times and Egghead so it was great to bring in uh, different people with I mean, I, it seemed like they had or posed a legitimate threat with these camouflage pills. So I thought it was a fun episode. Uh, how many bats would you give this episode? Hmm. Eight. I think an eight. Eight out of ten. Yeah. I'll, if, I can, if I'm allowed to give half bats, I'll go Please eight do. out of five. I'll go eight, eight out of five. You mean 8.5? 8.5, thank you. Okay, because eight out of five, that'd be like over one. Oh, I'm sorry. Oops, my bad. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Well, we're skipping Shipper Spotlight, but did you, I guess I'm putting you on the spot here, do you have any uh, books or, or comics or anything that you're reading now to, to add to the literature recommendation? I'd like to recommend um, some fan fiction, if I may. I'd like to Please? recommend Christie's Catwoman fan fiction, Christie's Cat Tales. That's okay. D-E-E. Chris D's Cattails. Oh, if you okay. put that in the search engine, that will come up and you will find some uh, remarkable fiction with Batman and Catwoman. Is it all romantic fan fiction? There is romance involved. Okay. Uh, it is it is adult fan fiction. It involves the whole multi uh, all the Gotham characters, and it does an, examine relationships not necessarily just with Batman and uh, Catwoman, but we've got some other uh, supporting cast as well. Uh, we we look at the love life of Riddler per for example right now going on with a recurring character with uh dating a uh on again off again romance with a character named doris happening right now so we've got a few things going on in cattails which i highly recommend so is it an ongoing like these it is an good? ongoing okay mm-hmm. yeah sounds interesting yeah there's some i found some uh pretty good fan fiction out there so i know i know that it gets a bad rap sometimes and there is some bad fan fiction but there's also 
perhaps more good than bad out there. So I, yeah. I am currently reading the second uh, Game of Thrones novel, which is Clash of Kings. And um, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. This one got a little... Uh, more mature than the last one and I've given the TV show a shot and I've been warned and uh, yes I have encountered why I've been warned I actually had to turn off the uh, <laughs> the video at one point because it was too much and I could only listen to what was going on but but I, I think the books definitely are I, I like the books a little bit more than the TV show just because um, it's always good to use your imagination and you can always imagine things I think more than they can put down on screen do you watch game of thrones or i watch i watch the series but i have not uh tackled the books yet and a a few people different people have warned me stay with it but once you once you get to the second set it does get a little long there so if you can make it through that you you should be in good shape okay yeah it is they're huge uh the first one was you know over 700 and this one's 900 i think i'm on page 700 um it always starts off slow but after you get past the prologue which seems to be like the slowest part it it just really speeds up and um i really like a lot of the characters that sometimes have infrequent chapters in the second book danny has a chapter maybe every 300 pages which is rough because she's one of my favorites but it's it's intriguing i like it i wasn't sure i was going to think about it but I enjoy it. And the the TV show stays pretty faithful to the actual book. There are some discrepancies that I've noticed, but it actually does a really good job with it. So Good yeah. to know. Well, are you involved with anything online, any websites or other podcasts that you'd like to, as we say, pimp out or anything? Nothing I'd like to pimp out, but I do have some things in the works. And when I have them established, you'll be the first to know about it. Please I'd also, do, yeah. bef- before I go, I also would like to encourage those uh, out there to um, give Stella a, a good review on iTunes <laughs> and, and Raider. Uh, I think it, she does a marvelous job. Oh, I, it was you. just an honor to be on her show. Uh, it's a great show. I, I think a lot of things, a lot of uh, effort went into it, and I think she does it in a unique and fun way to make for a very interesting show and podcast. So please give her a good rating on iTunes. Yeah, your check's in the mail, <laughs> as Brad Douglas always used to say. No, it, it was a pleasure. You know, when you ask people on and you don't know them, it's always like, well, you know, this could go good or bad. But I'm so glad that you were my first one on there. It was a real pleasure, and you brought something really special and distinct just because you brought in this one wonderful history which i really appreciate so thank you so much for the work you put in to do this it was it was great to meet you well same here i enjoyed it immensely thank you very much thank you well remember you can send any questions or comments to batgirl2oracle at gmail.com once again thanks to mile high comics for sponsoring batgirl the oracle the barbara gordon podcast be sure to check out all of the things that you can find at the Batman universe, especially I really highly recommend uh, the Robin special that Donovan led, and of course the Batgirl special if you didn't listen to it on here. Thanks again for to Chris for, for coming on, and remember if you have an interest and you think you'd be a great host and you've got a radio personality in you and you've got something special to bring, please email me. I'd love to just you know give a chance to anyone out there and just uh i guess spend time with somebody different and and get their thoughts and please if you like batgirl the current batgirl run don't be turned off and say that i'm going to attack you because just like you heard here i'm interested to know why you like it i'm not gonna you know jump on you for liking it because hey 
everyone's got their own thing for sure I do have the two next months lined up for people uh, so I'm excited to see what they bring to the fold as well thank you so much for listening and you know I hope that I and Backworld Oracle can continue to be encouraging to you out there I hope you enjoy your summer a lot of rain going on the rain unfortunately canceled my tough mutter uh, and what is a tough mutter you're probably wondering well it's a 10 to 13 mile race so they don't call it a race really because they really want you to be uh, team oriented even if you're not on a team there a lot of people help you over the obstacles but there are 25 obstacles developed by uh, British Special Forces and some things you may find are climbing walls they usually call them Berlin wall that they could range from 6 feet to 20 feet uh, there's a half pipe that's like buttered down or pam down that you gotta run up there and that's when people really help you out there's an ice bath that they either call arctic enema or chernobyl uh, not looking forward to that <laughs> may i say there's uh electroshock therapy kind of thing where they spritz you down and then you run through there are like dangling electrodes so it's it's not only physically intense but it's mentally intense as well because really if you i think hesitate at all then you're not going to do the particular thing but it was supposed to happen june 8th and then andrea which was sort of this tropical storm that passed through got to cancel which is really frustrating because you you train I mean I've basically been training since fall but with this intent since January I don't even so it's really frustrating plus I thought hey I can take off a little bit on the summer I've been working out nine times a week so you can imagine that's very fatiguing and I thought well this summer I'm gonna tone it down but no so I got it moved we got to to move it for free to another event somewhere and I'm doing it in late July so the training continues but sooner than that we'll uh, have San Diego comic-con so I'm excited to see uh, some of my besties uh, Don and Josh and Kevin will be there and of course Eddie and his wife as well so it'll be exciting and hopefully we're going to go see Man of Steel so I guess that'll be my second time if I don't see it again before that but whew, where did I come from all that yeah the rainy season that's what it is so get out there and enjoy the summer but of course hydrate if it's hot out there but it's just wonderful to be outdoors so go on a trail run is what I would uh, except for the ticks the ticks would be an issue so but take care of yourselves enjoy life enjoy the start of summer and I will talk to you guys soon until next time fly on bats lovers just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle who knows is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? Hi, L.O. Bean. Yeah, I was interested in purchasing a tent well it probably needs to fit um maybe three and a half people well the half is like a five or six year old girl so i, I would consider her a half yes um needs to be pretty rugged i'm going to be uh in the backyard Yes, the backyard. No, it's it's a rough part of town. It's sort of a ghetto.
Yeah, I just need to be cautious. Uh, some skunks lurk around, so we need to be sure that uh, no scent is going to penetrate through this tent here. And then just in case of inclement weather. Um, well, it's going to be a pretty rugged outdoors experience. So I really want everyone inside to be cautious because if anything happens, if there are any bear maulings, uh, it's going to be on my head even if I get killed along with the, the other people inside. Uh, color, it doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe something to blend in with the sort of ghetto atmosphere of the, the place uh, that we'll be staying. Maybe a green urban camouflage or so. Yeah, I think that should be good. Openings, probably uh, one should suffice. We want to limit the number. Well, actually, if we do get attacked by a bear or a skunk, perhaps it would be good to have an egress as well as an entrance. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I, I'm pretty skilled with putting stuff together, and I think that... Uh, the the mother of the family is pretty intelligent so I think that she should be able to also uh, put this together so I'm not too worried about the uh, complicated nature of putting the tent actually setting it up so I think that should be fine oh yeah we could do that if if you have an area with like I, I could put a fire pit inside the tent that'd be wonderful we're thinking about s'mores no, I'm not really concerned about smoke inhalation. Uh, you know, the, the kids in there, they should get used to getting the smoke in their lungs now. So that way when they get to high school and college, they'll be used to it. Okay, so hopefully rugged enough to survive the ghetto. Um, have a couple of entrances and exits in case a skunk attacks. We've got the fire pit inside. Do you have any options for accessorizing? Maybe have a disco ball inside. I don't know if we need a night light for the, uh, the six or the seven-year-old. Yeah, that could be good. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let me just uh, give you my address and we should be all set. Yeah, thank you so much. This is going to be really exciting. I know the entire family is it's ready to, to go. This should be great. Okay, thank you.